0: The root word of decision, uh, the Latin root word of that means to kill or to cut. So, to decide something means to kill or to cut something. And yet, when we decide something, it seems to be only adding. Welcome
1: along to the Asset Guardian podcast, where we explore the discipline of asset management throughout New Zealand and speak with industry leaders to learn more about the innovation and challenges in today's evolving world of technology, infrastructure, and regulation. My name is Josh Pope, and I'll be your guide on this journey into the world of Kateyakirawa and asset management. Hello, everyone, welcome along to another episode of the Asset Guardians podcast. My name is Josh, and it's my pleasure to welcome Mark Pringle on the show today. Mark is uh, Head of Breakthrough Design at In Your Corner. Mark is a highly experienced uh, strategic leader with a proven track record of success in delivering complex and transformative change programs. Uh, He has a deep understanding of the public sector, having worked for a range of organizations, including Christchurch City Holdings, Orion Group, and Auckland Uni Services. Mark and I have crossed a, uh, crossed paths a few times uh, in, in our journey, and I recently saw him uh, give a talk focused on how organisations can learn to prioritise better. I'm um, keen to share some of Mark's knowledge with you and explore a few different ideas, tools, uh, to help us all get better at prioritising. Kelda Mark, and welcome along to the Asset Guardians podcast. Do you want to uh, introduce yourself and maybe share a little bit about your your, your current role and journey to that role?
0: yeah sure kia ora, josh and and thank you for inviting me on it's a it's a real privilege to be to be part of this podcast and and, and talking to you today about the prioritization um yeah so uh in your corner i, I was a co-founder of in your corner uh, set up along with john O'Brend a couple of years ago uh after a number of years in sort of senior exec roles uh in infrastructure organizations and and uh as you said some of the public sector as well uh, and sort of got to a point in time where I thought that the impact that I could make, along with Jono, and, and now we've actually got a couple of other shareholder partners as well, um, that that we could make a bigger impact on organisations and the people in those organisations by, you know, through through an, a coaching and advisory uh, and consultancy service rather than continuing as an exec role. So, um, so yeah, the, the main the main focus for us or the part we play really is that. We we support senior leaders and uh, medium to to large businesses um, to intervene in the gaps that that they often experience in the execution of their chosen strategies. So so wherever they have a gap, or if they think they have a gap around the execution, whether it's the quality or speed of execution, then uh, then that's that's often where where we start uh, or, or come in to to help help them um and and we work across a really large range of sectors um but predominantly you know given given new zealand and as uh, primarily our focus although we do work in australia too is is predominantly infrastructure including utilities and energy and uh, agribusiness as well with with a um, smattering of local and central government too
1: nice thanks for that it's been great to watch the um the journey of uh, in your corner as it's continued to to grow and expand, and um, I guess having had experience with yourself and and Jono and um, that that world of of coaching and, and sort of mentoring as well, so I can so I can sort of speak firsthand on that about how how valuable that service is. Um, I would like to sort of explore, I guess, before we get too far into the nitty gritty of of uh, the content for the show. Um, I, if you weren't doing your current role, was there some other passions uh, you would have followed?
0: Uh, yeah, it's a great, great question. I mean, uh, the first, the first thing to say is like I, I really love what I do, and I'm, I'm lucky or privileged to be able to be in a position to, to, to start this organisation and do it, and, and just, you know, the intrinsic satisfaction of helping, helping leaders make a bigger difference than themselves is, is hugely satisfying. So. You know, just I think it's just important to underline that. But you know, I often say to coaching clients, if you if you won lotto, what would you be doing? Um, you know, what would you choose to do if you if you didn't have commitments? And you know, for me, um, you know, uh, apart from the obvious things like spending more time with family, um, which is a real priority for me, I, I love long distance running. Uh, I've completed my first ultra this year, and. Um, and and just love the um love the thrill of that and the the discipline of of it and the the battle with the mind of that um but also yeah really enjoy snow skiing and i'm i'm starting to develop a bit of a green green thumb of gardening and landscaping so you know I've, i sort of enjoy that um enjoy that side of things so yeah that's probably what i'd be doing josh if i'd won lotto Nice, nice. That's that's mm-hmm. awesome to hear. How, how What was your time for your ultra? Oh, geez, mate. Now, now you're putting me on the on the spot. <laughs> I, uh, it was a fifty k, and it was it was around six hours. So, yeah. yeah so I, I, I should have been I should have been thirty minutes faster, but I, I cramped up a, a about halfway through, so had to manage that. But anyway, yeah, that's how sports goes sometimes. Indeed. Hey, uh when you were a
1: kid, what did you want to grow up to be?
0: Yeah, uh, well, I grew up in um, a number of small rural towns uh, in the South Island, uh, and so it, it won't be a, a too big a surprise to people to hear that I, I, I grew up wanting to be an all-black. Um, and so so rugby and, and sport was a big part of my childhood, and uh, I made it through to heartland level, um, and that is that as far as I got, um, or put it this way, as far as I was willing to train to get to. Um, so, so. From that perspective, it was probably that, but didn't have a specific aspiration around career, other than I would sort of say is um, is you know making a difference to people. I think that's always been at the core for me. Is it's not really about the organisation; uh, it's more about the people in an organisation that you want to work with. So yeah, so so I, it, it it certainly wasn't growing up to be a doctor or anything like that.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's funny how we fall into these different. Different paths uh, along the along the journey, right? And uh, I guess maybe you know, sort of what I can hear there is with the the, the pull towards the All Blacks. It's, it sort of has that same uh, sort of impact, I suppose, that you, you're able to make now, where it's uh, working together with teams or within a team, and and sort of creating that uh, motivation, inspiration to to others around you as well. So yeah, can yeah, definitely yeah, see the see That's the connection right. there. Yeah. Hey, um, well, let's let's jump into to maybe some of the content for today. Um, w- why is it important for us to prioritize decisions, and uh, what are some of the uh, common mistakes organisations and individuals make when it comes to prioritisation?
0: Yeah, so there's a there's a lot in that, Josh, and I, I guess to first preface it by sort of saying that, um, you know, my response to to that question is is both in my own personal experience and and failures uh as an individual um you know both both outside of work but also as a as a senior leader in work but also you know the work we do through in your corner is all done through discovery work and understanding these challenges firsthand within multiple organizations so these aren't really just opinions they're actually you know the lived experience or what we've find in organisations. so i think the first place to look is is what happens you know when we aren't effective at prioritisation, and um, and so typically what we see is um, people, and particularly leaders, even really senior leaders, they just don't do sufficient work to crystallise what they actually want. Uh, most of them know what they don't want. Most of them know what their customers might want, their board might want, um, you know, their families might want from them, but but they haven't done the work to figure out what's of fundamental importance to them as a leader. And often we sort of refer to that as, you know, what's your leadership stand? And it's only when you're really clear on that, does that sort of form a clear context for what, for for prioritising what activities uh, you you decide to take on in service of that stand. So I just, I just think your first uh, mistake, or at least the, you know, the first piece of advice around that is, um you, you know need to 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 do the work uh, often with teams as well to to crystallize what's of fundamental importance um uh if it, the, the thing is too, if, if you're not clear on what you want or what you stand for then all you're really left is to just respond to circumstances and problems that come to you so and 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 then what that means in terms of prioritization you're left with prioritizing other people's problems or the circumstances that Come, come to you, and and it's important to prioritise those too. But when you th- when you sort of break that down, it's it's pretty scary. And the fact that you know your life and, you know your team or your company that you're responsible for, is now just a response to something rather than you you generating something towards the future. And and I, I what we find particularly in coaching conversations, Josh, is that most people are responding. You know they are really effective at responding to circumstances and to problems but they what they don't realize is that they don't spend anywhere near enough time on, on um you know working on the future so um the other thing too is uh everything these days is, seems to be considered important uh and uh and because everything's considered important but an organization or a team or an even individual is always going to be constrained on the on the resources or investment that they have. Uh, and so where, where there's multiple priorities, which means that you're not effectively prioritising, it means that you're diluting all of those priorities in terms of the quality or speed of execution. Um, and so often when we, we see companies that are struggling to execute strategy, uh, either at the speed or quality, it's because that they haven't, uh, actually, prioritise. They've got a long list of things that they want to do, uh, and then you know, uh, and then the organisation is confused as to what is the priority of those things. What's more important, least important? Um, and that leaves that leaves people in a confused or frustrated state, and and ultimately that can lead to conflict and you know, an impact on your your culture. So. You know, I, I just think it's a, a critical, responsible responsibility of leaders. You know, in your own life, but but certainly if you're responsible for a team or an organisation, you have to be crystal clear on what you want and what the critical priorities are for now. Knowing that those priorities will change, um, and and I just don't think enough work is done on that. Uh, I think it, I think strategies are often additive, so you take what you're doing today, you add more to it and uh instead of actually deciding what are you going to trade off um so strategy is about trade off so if you're not deliberate about trading off something then effectively you're saying to people we're just adding it on and we expect you to to do both what you did before and now what we expect you to do yeah
1: i've come up against that problem uh many times where everything is the priority and <laughs> the there's there's uh, almost no compromise on on the trade-offs, and it's uh, you get bogged down. you are stuck immediately because you, you, it's impossible to make a decision uh, where you either have everything in balance or you're able to tick all of the boxes. I guess yes. if 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 the you know the most common mistake there is um, not knowing what you want. Uh, how how can how can we get clear on on what we want? Because in my mind, I'm thinking that's that's quite a confronting question to to look at head on, uh, and I guess forces you to maybe think quite deeply about
0: that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I I think we always sort of say it starts with the individual, like uh, the individual person, rather than thinking of things as a company. I mean, a company is just made up of a group of individuals and individuals. Um, uh, are making decisions predominantly based on all, what they all already know how to do, and and that's not a good or a bad thing. It's just it's just you know it's just based on their experience, and and so we 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 sort of say to people like, how do you currently go about prioritising things? So and and you know what criteria are you using to prioritise things? And often sometimes we find that that people are prioritising things based on Things like their fear of failure, uh, which I know we'll probably talk about later, but but uh, so so even though they know that the right thing to do might be to do X, Y, and Z, they're prioritising A, B, and C because they they are worried that if they don't do A, B, and C, there's going it's going to result in failure and it's going to make them look bad or feel embarrassed, etc. So if you don't deal with the personal or human constraint around how they're looking at um, you know, their their work or their their future, then they're just going to continue to prioritize based on having a fear of failure. So so yeah. So it's really important to deal with the the human dynamics, you know, what is that person experiencing, understand how they're currently doing it. Um and and then the second bit is, as I said before, is what is fundamentally important to them. And um and to be really clear, is that important to them and what they really want, or are they just doing it because it's what someone else wants of them? And and often we find it is that. Um, and 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 if they're not clear on either of those things, then they're just left responding to circumstances. So uh, I always say to people that that you know uh, you need a set of criteria in which you're going to judge. What activities you could you could choose to do in terms of urgency and importance, and um, and you've got to you've, you've got to create the criteria for those. Um, otherwise, you're just left making the call based on the mood or the emotion or the circumstances that you're facing.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to try and keep that. You know. I, I... I I guess it's slightly different if we talk personal versus professional, but, um, you know, in the context of, say, asset management or something like that, it's important to keep that quite subjective and build those criteria uh, and ensure they are aligned to to the direction, I suppose, of the organisation, because I think that's fine, isn't it, to have, um, you know, those wants and needs of others considered in there too, but when you're in that leadership position, uh, you have to be quite clear on your own Wants, intentions, desires—you know—to for, for the to, and, and how that fits in with the, the business as well, right?
0: Yeah, and and sometimes there there might not be a match. So if you as a leader are clear on what you want to do and what what you think is important, you still have a responsibility to ensure that is going to meet the needs of the organisation. And that's why you know um, generating that set of priorities to have a conversation with your manager or your CEO or your board or whoever it needs to be. Is is really important, and you might find that you get pushed back or it gets altered, but at least you're then clear. And I, I, what I think is, we often see um, managers, including senior leaders, waiting for priorities to be set for them. And the reality is, um, the manager above them or a couple of layers above them. They're not in the best position to set priorities because they don't they don't understand the work well enough at, at a detailed level. So and they're waiting for people to generate priorities. So everyone's sitting in a waiting game of waiting for priorities. And I say, look, even if you don't know, generate a set of priorities, check it off with your manager or your your peers or your your stakeholders and and get and get it defined. And and then continue to do that as circumstances change. So you know, you know that priorities today won't necessarily stay the same for for three months six months a year because other things get in the way like as you as you know josh with with um infrastructure you can have a major uh major climate or weather event and and that that you know in those situations you know what the priorities become uh, and you've got to adapt to that so yeah generating a, a clear set of priorities from what you would want to do i think is a great first step um and then, then ensuring that it's got clarity with others.
1: We've um, we t- we touched on a couple alri- already, and fear of failure was one of them. But and, and we'll go into that a little bit more later as well. But what are some of the other um, common sort of organisational constraints that can inhibit you know effective prioritisation within a business? Yeah.
0: So uh, there's a there's a long list of these, uh, Josh, and um, I've. Uh, I've tried to narrow it down to a few, but um, you know, certainly, I just want people to know that this is not exhaustive. But you know, as I've said before, that the first one is clarity and specificity of of the purpose and goal and outcome of what you're trying to achieve. Um, lack of clarity, including lack of data um, around the nature and magnitude of the gaps between where you are today and the future. So it's all very well to have a clear future, but if people view the gap between where you are today and the future differently. So some see it as incremental, some see it as, you know, radical, then you're going to have people operating from different contexts about, you know, what's important. So so being really clear about the goal, the current state and the and the gap um, and you know in in asset management As as you know, da- data is critical to informing that. Uh, I think more of a human one, but it's fundamental. And what we see is that there has to be sufficient trust for people to be able to say what they really think uh, is needed, or what they're actually really worried about. Because what they're really worried about is going to determine where they're going to put their attention. That's that's typically what people how people prioritize. They 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 focus on what could go wrong or what they're worried about rather than what might be needed. But if they if they don't feel trusted to say it or there's not enough trust between them and their manager. Um, uh, sorry, I think we just looped out there, Josh. But um, uh, also uh, the lack of clarity and specificity of time timelines. So we, we often talk about getting a project underway, but we don't break it down into, you know, what needs to be done by next Tuesday at 4pm. And so uh, because we're not clear on that, then... People take as long as they take to get get the jobs done. Um, there's there's the gap between you know work as imagined versus work as done. So you know senior leaders off, can often fall into that trap of prioritising something without really understanding what it's going to take to deliver it, and then expect that to be a priority for people who don't have the resources or time or capability to t- deliver it. Um, I think there's uh, there's a sunk cost bias. So, we see this often as because there's all already been a priority set historically, and people have put a lot of time and energy into it. Um, and you often see this with IT projects because you put a lot of time, money, and energy into a project. People think, well, we've come this far, we've got to keep doing it. And and I I always just say, well, is that is that the th- is that project or is that investment? Uh, still the thing that's going to get you towards the clear goal within the time frame you've set and so i think think people shouldn't make assumptions that just because you've invested in the past you need to continue to invest in it you know good money going after bad is is not a good thing um the the visibility and understanding of interdependencies um you know and I, i think org structure and org design you know often gets in the way of that um and so people don't don't truly understand what, what support and resources it's going to take to deliver something um, across, you know, um, functional boundaries, and and then when it comes to deliver something that those people and other teams are already tied up focusing on something else. Uh, so, yeah, and and then um, really effective processes for making trade off decisions as as a team, um, and. Being crystal clear on what you're trading off, and as I said earlier, I think we're way too quick to add uh, add priorities, and without then saying, right, what are we not going to do, or what are we going to delay uh, or put on hold? Um, And you know, I, I just see business plan after business plan without that clarity. It's it's just it's just do more and don't take away anything um and you know i think think i meant, mentioned this to you previously you know the the root word of decision uh the latin root word of that means to kill or to cut so to decide something means to kill or to cut something and yet when we decide something it seems to be only adding uh so that they would be they would be the sort of top few for me josh i think
1: yeah i think uh I mean that that list certainly resonates with me, and um, as you say, this you know it's it's a it's a it's a long list, and I think what you've got there is probably you know the the core ones, and um, I absolutely love the I love the the part about the de- decision and and uh, not constantly adding because it does often mm. feel like what we're always doing is continuing to add and continuing to grow, into that you know while that is um, can be valid. It may not be the best solution for that the the immediate situation or the or the short term. You know, growth long term is 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 always always kind of the goal or or continuing to add in the long term, but maybe in the shorter term uh, around some of those decision making um, priorities, uh, that's it's not the best way to look at it. You know, and maybe we've been conditioned into this um, habit or behaviour of just you know more is more when sometimes more is less, right? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. The um, the fear of failure, uh, where do you think that stems from? And um, how does that affect our ability to prioritise and, and lead effectively?
0: Yeah. So uh, f- as you know, through a lot of our coaching, um, you know, we, we just find the fear of failure, uh, you know, and, and some people also refer to imposter syndrome as, as well, it's just really common amongst people, you know, at all levels, um, and in terms of where it comes from, uh, what we typically find is that uh, is that it's 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 come from a an event or a set of events or set of experiences that that individual uh, has endured in the past, and it could be when they are a child or a teenager, or it could be uh, when they, you know, in their first year of a of a of a career or a profession where where they were um, you know made to feel embarrassed or you know the parent was really disappointed with them or they they had shame around their performance of something and so what what they you know as a result of that event or a series of events they then start looking to protect themselves. Of avoiding that that event or circumstances or anything that looks similar to that happening again, and you know a lot of our coaching conversations it does go back to childhood, and it could be could be a case where you know an you know the a person might have achieved seventy five percent in a uh, in a school exam, and and a parent might have sort of said to them, um, you know what, what happened to the other twenty five percent, and then suddenly. That child now thinks of I've failed because I didn't get the other twenty five, and that might not have been the parent's intent. So, and so sometimes you've got to go back to that stuff in order to you know shift people's interpretation of it. Otherwise, they're going to be stuck with it for for life. Um, and in terms of how it impacts prioritisation, like we we just think it's huge because, as I mentioned earlier, you know we find that that becomes the context for how people prioritise. So they they prioritize based on you know uh to to the the type of activity or how to execute an activity to minimize or prevent failure um, and so that becomes their priority ahead of actually doing the thing that the team or the organization might actually need doing which might carry risk with it but that's the thing that they need to do and that the, the the impact for an organization, like there's three major impacts of that. Uh first of all, you know, the individual ends up prioritizing the work that might not be needed. So, um, so the organization um, you know, doesn't get the activity it needs. The the speed in which the person works will be slower if they're trying to minimize failure at every step along the way, uh, you know, and projects end up going over time, you know, because of that. Um if And if the person who has a fear of failure is in a leadership or or maybe an influential position, then others start to learn from them and then begin to operate the same way. So if you see your senior leader trying to minimise or avoid failure, um, and by the way, failure, I don't mean catastrophic failure. I mean, you know, actually failure is an opportunity to learn um, that, that then, you know, eventually the team start operating that way. And if not, the entire organisation. Then you've got an entire organisation who is now operating from a fear of failure. And um, and I'm certainly not saying. And I know that a number of your listeners will come from infrastructure, Josh. And I'm certainly not saying you you don't want to minimise risk or manage risk effectively. But you know, I think I think there is a balance, and I think uh, in many organisations, I think the balance is skewed way too much towards f- uh, preventing failure than than generating what what is needed so hopefully that answers that
1: yeah absolutely it's definitely it's almost a fear of trying something isn't it you know trying something new and for a long time I I certainly know that uh, this was it was a behavior of mine as well you know like I I think to some degree we all fear failure and it's incredible how something from your past can be the trigger of that and then uh, can flow on into your Decision making when you, are uh, you know a certain level within an organisation, and then that de- that determines the the future and the culture of the rest of the organisation. Yes, all stemming back to perhaps one event in somebody's life at a certain point of time in the past. You know, that it's just uh, the 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 magnitude or the impact that that can have is uh, unbelievable.
0: Well, and and to add to that, Josh, this is why I I sort of feel sad when when we send people on prioritization or time management courses and expect them to get better at it when when you haven't dealt with the thing that's actually holding them in their past which could be in their childhood and deal with that and that could change their entire life as well as their the way they go about leading others or what they do do as a project manager or what what have you and it, you know the best way to say it is that if if you just throw more content at people or train them in new content, but they, they have the same context that they have, which is, could be a fear of failure, you're not going to see much of a difference. Um, and I just we just see companies throwing money hugely at courses like that, which is more content and it never shifts the individual's con- context. And, and, um, and so both the company misses out, but I, more importantly, the individual misses out on, on helping address what might be really getting in the way. And it's, uh, it's uh, um, I guess it's one of those things where it's almost the, the more difficult path
1: to walk is uh, shifting the context, because I guess it's quite easy for a business to say, hey, go on this course and we'll pay yeah. for it. You know, that's the, that's the easy route. But the harder route is to then, uh, you know, approach or um work with people to understand their context uh sorry yeah their context sorry and um yeah and 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 to, to to be able to do that again is quite confronting is this element of vulnerability that's involved because you're having to then maybe explore these parts of yourself that you haven't had to do before and and i think in um some professional environments i'm very fortunate that i've been in these environments where it's uh you know pretty accept uh, it's accepted in, in that sense and we've got strong levels of trust but within teams and things like that so we can sort of h- allow that trust and vulnerability to, to flow naturally but I think in some of these environments it's difficult to to have those types of conversations and then really move the dial in terms of an organization's culture um, and you, you know and and that's 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 huge for uh, building a, a, a sustainable business going forward in terms of, you know, strong decision-making, strong economic growth and, and or performance um, and, uh, you know, professional development of the individuals
0: and everything like that too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more.
1: Are there, um, are there any useful tools or ex- exercises for organisations or individuals um, that they can use to improve their effectiveness when it comes to prioritisation then
0: yeah uh, look look definitely and and you know uh you know um i know i'm probably repeating myself but you know the first exercise to always do is is what are you trying to achieve you know the clarity of that and the time frames associated with that and and as I said before, people just don't do enough work on that. Um, they, they, do, they do they do, enough work on like sort of general purpose statements, but they can't crystallise exactly what the success looks like, you know, to a detailed enough level, which then informs, you know, how to, you know, reward your priorities. But the second thing um, I, I would really encourage organisation, particularly those in infrastructure, because uh, this is probably more relevant to them, but, you look at the conditions or how effective you are at prioritising during a crisis, and uh, as you know, Josh, with um, in the electricity distribution uh, game, that you know a, a severe weather event uh, or even a car car hitting a power pole or anything you know um, requires an immediate response, and and you know from both a safety issue, but also you know getting getting the power back on, and what 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 i note in those situations there's sort of some key conditions in which prioritization happens really well and and so it's not like the organization isn't effective or doesn't know how to prioritize it it, it certainly knows how to prioritize in a crisis and a couple of the things that help them prioritize is is firstly like is a common purpose there's real clarity that the aim is to get the power back on and do that in a in a safe way uh, and there's really clear timeframes, you know, uh, you know, with the safety and safety regulations around, you know, power outages and things. But but even if it didn't have those, there's usually we need to get this thing done with X amount of time. So people are clear on the purpose, uh, they are clear on the time frame, they are they are given all the resources that they need, and uh, and the the second thing, the the, the next one is is that. Uh, the silos the traditional silos that you know or functional silos that often you know seem to inhibit teams working they all seem to dissolve and then people just work together because they have a they are glued together by the common goal and the urgency of in the time frame so all I'm saying is I'm I'm not saying everyone needs to operate in a crisis all the time I'm saying look at what your organization does in a crisis or your team does in a crisis uh, understand the conditions. Of how effective you are, and see see what you can replicate. So that would be the first thing. Um, the in terms of the other tools, uh, so there's a there's a couple. There's the Eisenhower Matrix, which is which is when you are clear on your goal, uh, and um, the time frame is then it's about deciding what activities are more important and uh, more urgent. So it's just an, it's a it's an important versus urgency matrix. Very simple. You can look it up on Google. Uh, there's the Pareto principle, so uh, it's a, it's another option of looking looking. 80% of outcomes or outputs can often come from 20% of the causes. So you know, focus on the 20% of the causes or inputs. Um, it won't always match that, but it's another way to to look at that. Then there's the the Rice model. So if you've got multiple projects or potential investments. Um, and this is probably more associated with organizations that are delivering products um, to customers but it's a, it's another matrix by looking at the the reach versus the impact versus the complexity and divided by the effort that it's going to take to deliver that and uh, again it's something you could look look up it's just called the rice model all of those are really useful josh but i just i, I, I couldn't underline enough that they don't matter uh if you're not clear on what what you're trying to achieve and you you're aligned on the magnitude of gaps between where you are today and that so that's the first piece of work to do yeah i I mean
1: just i think reiterating that point you know once once you have that that then sets up those those goals those timelines and it's a really interesting um i guess thought experiment when you compare an organization how it acts in crisis because you're absolutely right all of those silos seem to disappear the, the organization immediately is able to prioritize all of a sudden out of nowhere and um i suppose the the challenge uh organizations are facing is these you know the the blurry looking future and the and the, the uncertainty of 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 things and which you know um I guess then doesn't give you those timelines, right? So you then have to self-impose those on yourself to perhaps, yes. uh, yep. you know, to 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 then to then be able to um, imp- improve that prioritisation process because I think once you have, you know, you, you self-impose those constraints onto yourself, you can then act accordingly based on the environment that you've set, you know, and maybe that's the fear that people have is that, you know, it's what if I impose these on us and, and they're wrong. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I, I I realize that there carries risk with that, but then you look at the cost of not of not being clear about something, even if it's the wrong thing, at least you're going to get action and progress faster, and you're going to learn faster than leaving it blurry and having multiple interpretations from people about what's important, and then as as I mentioned earlier, which leads in confusion and can can end in conflict. So. I, I I think what you said is right. Is that you know how can you generate your own crisis? Um, you know, and again, it's it's meaning generate that clarity, that timeline, um, and then and then the other bit just to add to all that, which happens with crisis, which I forgot to mention before, is just ensure that you have embedded a learning process associated with it. So whatever you decide to prioritise and and commit to. Um, you know, it won't be perfect, but if you put in a learning process so you're regularly learning about what progress you've made, what you'd do differently, what you can be responsible for, then you can continue to adapt. And um, and I think that's your safety valve on those. If you're worried about whether it's the right thing to do, we'll just put in your learning process and that will enable you to adapt if, if it becomes the the wrong thing to do.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. I think there's... Um... Uh, there's, a, there's a quote that springs to mind and I'll, I'll be paraphrasing it, but it'll, it's something along the lines of, you know, life, life is in, inherently risky and uh, if, if you think taking risks is expensive, wait till you get the bill for not taking the risks, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, um, Speaking of quotes, I'd like to ask everyone this, do you have any favourite quotes or sayings that uh, you can share with the audience and maybe why it's meaningful to you?
0: Yeah, look, I, I've got a, I've got many. Uh, I, I often get inspired by quotes, but I'll you know, I've got a couple that I think are probably relevant to this conversation. So, uh, the first one is when you say you don't have time, the truth is you don't have priorities. And that's from Tim Ferriss, which I'm a big fan of. And, and look, uh, Josh, I've developed a really healthy allergy to people saying that they're busy because um, what they really should be saying is, I'm not prioritizing, and uh, which means, they have been responsible for that, and I just think we've we've created a busyness world, and we've we've stopped prioritising. So I, I really like the directness of that one, um, and it puts the onus owners, ownership back on on you. And the other one is we don't see things as they are; we see them as we are, uh, which I think is from Anais Nin, and which really speaks to to your context that you have. So if if you have a deficit mindset. You're 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 going to see problems. You're going to see uh, what's going to go wrong. If you have a fear of failure, the same thing. Uh, if you see possibility in something, or you're a, you know you 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 will find it. So, um, which for me really speaks to doing the work as an individual over what might be constraining you uh, and dealing with that first right before trying to help others. Um, yeah. So that would be my my top two that
1: makes a lot of sense i really uh you know also a big fan of tim Ferriss, and i really like that first one um i think like we actually sort of discussed earlier you know it's a it's a bit of a realization moment when you um do take responsibility for those things in your life so you know you can uh, when when you say you're not prioritizing it really puts the emphasis on the the fact that you're not uh making you know that that thing is just not as important to you in your life and that's That context yeah. shift may then uh, force you to go. Oh, hang on! That is actually important to me, and then I do need to put this back That's to the right. top of the list. You know, so yeah. Um, well, do you have do you have any uh, you know before before we we sort of finish up? Do you have maybe one or two pieces of pieces of advice uh, for the audience? Uh,
0: you, you mean around prioritisation?
1: Yeah, around prioritisation. Yeah.
0: Um, look, I I just you know, and it's probably uh, been a thread through this conversation you know Josh but I think people look look externally for things to help prioritize or to improve it um, like look look at from an intellectual perspective what new knowledge could I have to help me prioritize I've just found certainly in my own life um, as well as um, you know coaching of others that that you know if you do the work in the mirror um, for yourself and you understand what's fundamentally important to yourself and how, and and often you are the biggest barrier to achieving what you want to achieve, you know, that by dealing with that, that opens up multiple possibilities for, for your future and for those around you that you care about. So, um, and the other one would be, which is sort of tied to that is, um, there's no perfect solution. And, and I, I just think you're better to try something and then, you know, fail at it, which and learn from it, which is progress, than waiting for the conditions to be right, or waiting to have the right answer, or waiting for perfection. Um, and and you know I, the sort of quote that I use or Fraser uh, uses, it's it's better to go to, uh, to to go to hell or heaven quickly. Uh, than than sitting in purgatory of indecision there is nothing worse sitting in the purgatory of not knowing what to do you're better to make a move and if it's the wrong one okay change it then than sitting in indecision in it's an awful place to be I'm a big fan of that sometimes we have to get out of our own way eh? And, <laughs> absolutely uh, uh, and the, oh, sorry the final one Josh is that you know to be effective at prioritization is always going to mean that you're going to piss some people off and if you're if you're worrying about whether everyone will like you at the end of it, you're probably not going to be able to prioritise effectively. So, um, you know, that's just that's just the, that's just sometimes the fallout of making, you know, being decisive. So uh, don't have making everyone like you as the goal of a trade-off decision.
1: And this also goes hand in hand with leadership too, right? Because it's... Uh, Absolutely. That's yep. one of the key things. You're just not going to make everybody happy and you have to be bold and make these decisions and it's it's comes with the territory so
0: yeah and 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 look people won't like you anyway if you're indecisive <laughs> and even if you're a nice person but you're indecisive they'll soon get sick of that so that's true that's true as well hey well thank you very much
1: for coming on today mark i uh, appreciate you um, sharing all your uh, learnings with us, and I, I um, could speak firsthand. I, I know know Mark pr- pretty well, and uh, that a lot of these. Um, these tools, these processes, this advice uh, comes from personal experience as well, and having having uh, faced many of these these challenges yourself. So, if you do hear today's podcast and you're in that position where you may be seeking some advice or wanting the next steps, so I'd recommend certainly reaching out to Mark or Jono at A uh, New Corner. And um, yeah, it's been great to have you along. Thanks very much, Josh. Pleasure to be here. Matiwa, everyone. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the
0: Asset Guardians podcast. I hope you all have a great week ahead and I'll catch you next time. Ka kite anō. No.